Well, it's lovely to be here with you all. We've uh, kind of not been here for three weeks with different things, so it's just so good to be back amongst you and uh, worshipping with brothers and sisters in the Lord and experiencing God's love together. Uh, we're going to be uh, looking at Romans chapter 8 and verses 10 and 11, as you'll have picked up already from what Martin said, no doubt. And uh, so if you want to turn to that passage in whatever you've got, Bible, phone, um, you've memorized it, I'm sure, um, then we're going to read from 8.1 through to 8.11. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There are Bibles at the back if you on the bookshelves there if you need one. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to verse 11. These, these are just staggering words. Um, Martin Luther talked about the Bible being like a mountain. Uh, and he said, uh, right at the peak of the mountain is Romans chapter 8. And uh, he sort of get, get the feel of why he would say that, just from what the words are. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. But to set the mind on this, for, the, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, he's writing to Christians, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Amen. It's verses 10 and 11 that we're going to concentrate on. So, um, here's a little question, boys and girls, right? Um, what is the book of Romans all about? What's the book of Romans all about? Oh, I know you're bursting with answers. <laughs> so, it's like one word which also begins with R. And almost, it's like a longish word and... Hmm? Reconciliation. Well, it's all in there. It's all in there. All these good R words are in there. Righteousness. Did you say righteousness? Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. So it's about righteousness. 
And all those other things are swept into that theme. Um, so Romans is about righteousness, and, and it opens up in, um, uh, f- from almost the beginning of chapter 1, from about chapter 1, verse um, 18, through to chapter 3, verse 20, saying, we don't have any of our own. We just are not right with God. We're not right with one another. We're not right with respect to God's law and his standards, his expectations. We are not righteous. We have none of our own. In fact, by the end of, of by the time you get to chapter 3, verse 20, any notion of our being good enough for God and right enough with God, or even that being the basis for having any relationship with God, it, it's, it's like he's done a nuclear bomb on Hiroshima thing. It's like rubble. There's no bolt hole left for human self-righteousness before God. And then chapter 3, verse 21 onwards is all about, well, through the rest of chapter 3 and then chapters 4 and 5, or chapter 4, it's all about the righteousness that God has provided for us in this one righteous person, Jesus Christ. But now a righteousness from God has appeared. We have none. God has it all. And he gives it to us in Jesus Christ. Now, that's not just from Jesus Christ, like Jesus is standing by our hospital bed and gives us a tablet. It is by union with Christ. And so as we go through what the Christian life, then the righteous life begins to look like in chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8, and here we are, it's a spirit-filled life in chapter 8, then we, we keep coming across this thing about God being in us and us being in God, about being united with Christ in his death and therefore in his resurrection. So the, the way that we become right with God is through faith in Jesus, not through faith in ourselves, because we know where that's going to lead. So it's not through our flesh, our bodily actions, that make us right with God. It's Christ's life, the life he lived, and the death he died bearing all our sin and condemnation, and the life he now lives forever with God. So if we've been united with Christ in his death, we'll be united with him in his resurrection. Your safety as a Christian for all eternity does not depend on your performance now. It depends on the fact that Jesus Christ is alive in heaven and you are as safe as a Christian as Jesus is safe in heaven. The only way you're going to lose your salvation is if Christ was ripped out of heaven and stuck back in the tomb about 2,000 years ago. That's not going to happen. His life becomes our life. And Paul is writing all this so that Christians can live together, Christians from a Jewish background and a Gentile background who are in Rome. And they're falling out, and you know, this is sort of we're better than them nonsense going on. And so he writes all this whole letter is is so that they can see that they have a, a common bond through a common ground of their relationship with God. doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, this is true of you, he's saying. doesn't matter what nationality you are, what background you've come from, what abilities you've got, what your income level is, doesn't matter how good you think you are or how rubbish you think you are, doesn't matter whether your life is going well or you've completely screwed it up. It doesn't matter 
Because it's not the basis, isn't it? You. It's Christ. For everyone. So here in chapter 8, he's saying, look, this life that we have comes to us and is, is, it's real because of the work of the Holy Spirit. So there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Because the Spirit who is the Spirit of life, the Creator, the life giver, the breath of God that comes in to make bones live, the breath of God that comes in to the disciples to make them live, the breath of God that, comes, that is coming to you, the Spirit of God, the Ruach in, in the Hebrew, Pneuma, the breathing out in, in, in the Greek in the New Testament. This, this spirit of life is now in you. And in verses 10 and 11, there are two wonderful, amazing, absolutely astonishing things that fall out of that. And that's what we're going to dwell on for a while. Not a long while, don't worry. So, the spirit of God lives in you if you're a Christian. That's what verse 9 is saying. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So he's saying if, 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 if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of Christ. If you're not a Christian, you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you. Uh, subtext is become a Christian. Um, I don't mean that in a facile way. I mean that, that is the door to all these blessings that we've been singing about. That is the, the way in which all those wonderful things we've been singing out become more than nice ideas, become more than short-term emotional fixes. They become our real experience through every day because we're united with Christ, because the Spirit lives in us, because we've become a Christian. So the Spirit lives in you. So in, um, in our verses 10 and 11, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. You see what Paul's doing there? He's, he's saying that to have the Spirit of God in you is absolutely the same as having Christ in you. Not because Christ and the Spirit are the same, they're two distinct persons, but because the two are so much together. Um, and what one does, the other is doing, together with the Father, so that one does, the other two are doing in, in, in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Trinity. So they're indivisible. So they're distinct and different, but indivisible. Now, we know what that, that kind of thing looks like. You see some friends, and they're just always together, and they're indivisible. You see, but they're still two different people. You see, some, sometimes, you know, husbands and wives, they're, they're, they're just so together and on the same page that they're indiv- one's thinking, the other's thinking. Um, but they're still two distinct persons. How different can two people be apart from being a husband and wife uh, and yet be together? Some of you were looking at each other quite surprisingly there. I want to talk about that later, that's fine. So the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, Christ is in you. The Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Him who raised Christ um, in verse 11. And back in verse 2, the spirit of life. So 
so two things fall out of this spirit, the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead, the spirit of life, of being in you. The first is that we have spiritual life now despite physical death, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So, even though all our bodies, unless Christ comes back first, are going to die and go into the grave or the creme or wherever, it, oh, you know, sort of basket on the mantelpiece, wherever they're going to go, our bodies are going to die. Sooner or later. And that's not because, hey, God made them, you know, they just kind of die, they only wear out, you know, it's like batteries, but that's because of sin. So you go right back to Genesis chapter 3. Death came into creation through sin. So death, in one sense, can we put it like this? Death is not actually just a natural process. Death is an active thing that happens to our bodies. They die because we sin, because of sin. So we, our bodies are, are as, as Paul says here, our, our body is dead because of sin. But we are more than just our bodies. Tell that to Western culture in 2019. We are more than just our bodies. So Paul here talks about us having life because the spirit of life is in us. So we are spiritually alive to God. See, when you become a Christian, your body's still heading towards the grave. But instead of your spirit being dead to God, now your spirit is alive to God. Instead of your spirit going for that eternal separation from God, your spirit is now going to be with God. You are spiritually alive. The death that sin brings has been pulled back from your spirit. So we have spiritual life now, despite physical death. You are a new person. You are a new creation. Now, let's just sort of press that in a little bit. If that is so, then because I'm a Christian, I actually have to live a new life. And even though my body is going to die, it, whilst it's alive, it can be directed in new ways to become an instrument for God's praise and God's righteousness and God's goodness in this world. If, my, if, if I've been given spiritual life by God, then he has not just come to me and loved me to bits and made me feel nice and tweaked my life a little bit. He has utterly and totally transformed my existence because he's given me life where once there was death in my spirit. I am a new creation in Christ. So the, 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 the Christian life is not marked by it being just like everybody else's, you know, sort of 
class background, whatever, life, except we've got a few tweaks. We've got an emotional help when we're struggling. We've got things that we can affirm about ourselves, which are really good to affirm. We've got church on Sunday and other times in the week if we're in a particularly keen frame of mind. And we pray, and we read our Bibles some days. And other days we read larger chunks to catch up with the days that we've missed. And by and large we swear less, I hope. And we don't get drunk and you know, we do a few of the things that are nice and all that kind of stuff. But basically we've got a tweaked life. But that's rubbish. <laughs> because you have a new life. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. So the whole of your life is utterly transformed. Now you no longer live for yourself. You live for God. Now all the gauges about whether a day has been good or not are changed because somewhere in there there's was I living today for God or was I just living it for myself in that old deathly way? Now, am I living to make my life comfortable for me? Which is what 99% of Brits are doing at the moment or people in Britain. Or am I living my life to burn out for the glory of God? I don't mean psychological burnout. Some of us have been there and you don't want to go there. But you know what I mean when I say, you know, you just live your life totally for God. Now, am I, am I living for what I can get out of a day? Or what I can get out of other people? Or am I living for what I can give to others and to God? He said, it's a totally transformed life. The other people exist to make me happy. Or is it the other way around? Is God there to suit me? Or am I here to live a life of total sacrifice for him? Joyful sacrifice. Where apparent loss is actually gain. You know, like the woman who, if you're familiar with the story, the woman who had that jar of really, really expensive perfume, that alabaster jar, and she came and she poured it over Jesus' feet. And the disciples thought, mm, what a waste of money. Do you think she went away thinking, oh, that's the ointment gone and even the jar's broken? I don't think so. I think she went away thinking, I wish I had more. I wish I had another jar at home. I could go and get it and come back and pour it over his feet again. Loss was not loss. It was gain. That's a Christian's life. Because our spirits are alive. So it is not a tweaked life. That is lukewarm. It is pathetic. It is all wrong. It's the just totally the wrong way around. Don't tolerate it in your life. Don't tolerate it. Be ruthless with yourself on that one. I do not get up to live for myself today. I mean, we don't 
actually it's better that way. It is a more satisfying life that way. It really is genuinely a more joyful life that way. It is a more fulfilling life that way. So all those things that the world says you get by focusing on yourself, rubbish. I nearly used a stronger word, but I just said Christians don't swear so much. That's just inappropriate. (laughs) All those things that the world wants to tell you you'll get by focusing on yourself Great things, but actually they come as a side benefit from focusing on God and living a new life. Second blessing comes in verse 11, that even these physical lives, this one's going to die. This flesh and blood is going to die. It's going to pack in one day. You know, and, and if the tumors don't get me, something else will. Same for you. All right? It might be a number 20 bus. might be a runaway lorry. might be a banana skin. You don't know. But even though this physical body is destroyed, I'll get a new one. And so will you. And the new one will not grow old and weary and its teeth will not fall out and its joints will not ache and it will never ever have a chronic stomach cramp and it won't have I can say this I think because I'm old enough now it'll never have a menopause it will just like you know gravity will never be unkind to you (laughs) stuff will not go wrong and fall apart Right? You'll never have to go for a scan. No one will ever need to take your blood. And that's coming. Why? Because the Spirit in you is the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead, and if He did that for Christ, He's going to do it for you. And that is just like all over the New Testament. Let me read to you just a few verses from another letter that Paul wrote familiar this will be to some of you from uh, what he wrote to the church in Corinth and uh, he was writing to them and said someone will ask how are the dead raised with what kind of body do they come it says in the ESV you foolish person it's not a put down or a criticism you numpty (laughs) kind of thing Um, probably, probably numpty is a Greek word for all I know What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, this body, which is going to die, which is going to go into the ground in one form or another, this, 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 what is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor and isn't it? Boy, it is. But it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. Yes, that's true. But it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So, this body is dying, but my spirit is alive. And one day, when my spirit is still alive, I'll get a new body. 
just like Jesus did. And so will you. Because of his resurrection. And if the first thing is a challenge to us, the second thing is a reassurance, isn't it? What hope we have. What hope we have. We do not grieve as those who have no hope, writes Paul to the Thessalonians, when we lose somebody. But neither do we fear as those who have no hope. So we can even find ourselves feeling what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi when he said, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. So death loses its sting even before we experience it. It loses its power, it loses its dread, even before we get there. What a wonderful hope and what a wonderful assurance. What a wonderful motive to live for God, all out for God. Not half-heartedly, not every now and then, but just to live a life which is all out for God. A Godward life like Jesus' life. Because we know that something even better awaits us. Paul endured all that he had to to physically undergo and experience by being a faithful Christian. He endured it because he was looking ahead. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen but what is unseen. He says, for our light and momentary afflictions are working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. And all this is true because it's what the Spirit does when the Spirit makes his home in you. When the Spirit makes you his home, his house, his temple, his dwelling place. Two things in closing. The first is that there, there are two approaches to, to the Christian life, and they, one of them echoes actually the, the, the kind of the I can do this myself approach that Romans is saying isn't true. Um, one is to say, if I do these things, then I will get this from God. I, if, if I keep up the performance, then God will give me life and you know, I'll get to heaven, it'll be all right. So we're doing things in order to get. The other approach, which is the biblical approach, is to say, I'm doing things because I've already got. Now, which life are you living? Primarily, what's your driver? What, 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 what is it that, that might make you still fearful? Or are you living the Christian life as if I live it in order to get? Or are you living the Christian life, I live it because I've got? Well, When Paul is writing here, he's saying, you've got the Spirit. If you're a Christian, you've got God in you. God is in you. When you go to work tomorrow, or wherever you're going tomorrow, whatever you're going to do, you've got God in you. God is in you. You're not just nice, or clever, or attractive, or something else. 
God is in you. I mean, that is, that is powerful, I hope, for you. So the ifs in verses 10 and 11 are not conditional ifs. They are rhetorical ifs. That is, you could translate them with the word since or because. And we know that's, that is true. That's not just sort of, you know, me trying to make it nice or something. That is true because if you look right at the end of verse 11, so verse 11 starts out with one of these, you know, since the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, um, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who, not might, but who dwells in you. It is a done deal that you have the Spirit if you're a Christian. It's a done deal that you are spiritually alive now. It is a done deal that one day you will get a new body. Perfect in every way. That's the first thing. In closing, the second in closing um, requires uh, a slide to go up that I emailed to John earlier. So this is my notes for my sermon. That's where I'm preaching from, right? So that's just a big version, which is why it's rubbish and all over the place. But and I, I, I'd laid it out when I was when I was writing when I was saying, okay, where are all the connections? There are millions of verses that I haven't referred to, by the way, just for the sake of time and attention. Um, but. I, I joined, I thought, oh, goodness me, that, look what that looks like. So, okay, what does that look like? It looks like an excellent. <laughs> so I drew the anchor around it, and then just before it came out this morning, I got Mel to, to photograph it, so then he mailed it to John, and here we are. It is an absolute and total anchor for your soul. Not you. You're not an anchor for your soul. Neither am I, neither is Hillview. Christ is the anchor for your soul. Christ in you by the Spirit. Christ with you by the Spirit. Christ ahead of you by the Spirit. It's an absolute anchor for your soul. It does not matter what the waves do. It does not matter what the tides do. It does not matter how the currents pull. Christ in you, the Spirit in you, is, not might be, is an anchor for you. For us. You have an anchor. You've got it already. Let's pray. Lord, you are already more to us than we normally think or feel. We thank you that you have given to us your very self. Thank you that you live in us if we're yours. And Lord, uh, just with our heads bowed, we, we pray and, and we we'll just, we'll just try and put into words, Lord, that... Um, if we, if we haven't just taken the step to say, yes, I want to belong to Jesus and I want him to belong to me, and not just for now in church, but for all of eternity, I need him. 
I don't just need to feel better, I need to be new. Lord, if, if, if that prayer is going on in some way in our hearts, thank you that you've heard it. Thank you that you answer it. Thank you that you'll make us new. In Jesus' name, amen.